Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Macro View, episode 18. You're listening to the number one daily podcast focused on spreading the logic of liberty. I'm your host, Andrew Smith. For most of history, the wealthiest people in the world maintained a standard of living that was worse than the average poor person living in a developed country today. Thanks to the Madison Project, spelled M-A-D-D-I-S-O-N, we do have some rough estimates of the productivity of more, the more ancient world. The Madison Project has a number of countries and regions and the per capita GDP of each going back as far as 1 AD. Now, obviously, for every country and region, they don't have all the data going all the way back. But in the Madison Project, the numbers given are in what is called the Geary Commas dollar, also known as the international dollar or sometimes referred to as the GKINT dollar. It's a hypothetical unit of currency that has the same purchasing power that U.S. dollars had in the U.S. at a given point in time. So, And all the numbers that I'm going to be talking about tonight, based on the Madison Project, are standardized to a 1990 GK international dollar. In 1 AD, the GDP per capita in the most productive countries, which were Greece and Rome at the time, the GDP per capita was equivalent to $800 in uh, 1990. So, and countries such as Belgium and France, Switzerland, England, Portugal, and Spain were about 25% behind the Romans and the Greeks, while the Middle East and the North African empires were only about uh, 12% behind the Roman and Greek, Greek empires. Now, 1,300 years later, 1,300 years later, productivity had barely doubled in the Roman Empire. And while the Middle Eastern and African countries, while declining, still settled at a level of productivity about 1.6% greater than the poorest country in 1 AD. And yes, that was 1,300 years later. The productivity increased by a total of 1.6% amongst the least productive country on earth, which back in 1 AD, 1300 years earlier, were some of the the, the non-Roman Empire European nations. And in uh, 1300 AD, it was the Middle Eastern and North African empires, at least as far as what we have on record in in regards to actual nations. Now by 1500, you know, we're in the Middle Ages, and the least productive country on record, according to the Madison Project, um, the spread between Great Britain and Belgium, which had increased productivity. So the spread between the poorest country and Great Britain and, and Belgium uh, had had decl- it had it had collapsed a little bit. So relatively, the poorest country was a little bit less poor compared to the wealthiest country as they had been 200 years earlier. But net-net, 
Belgium, which was the at the time the the most productive country. Excuse me, the Roman Empire was still the most productive country at the time, um, but was a lot closer to the Great Britain and the Belgium uh, the Belgian Empire. It was still Rome was still the most productive country on earth, and it was pumping out is at this time it's it's Italy basically, uh, but pumping out a per capita GDP of about fifteen hundred and thirty three dollars. Now by sixteen hundred, the Belgian Empire had taken over the world as the wealthiest country, um, or the most productive country I should say, with per capita GDP of about one thousand five hundred and eighty nine uh, nineteen ninety U S dollars essentially. Now, if you notice, productivity basically peaked in 1300, and um, so the Roman Empire had more than doubled its productivity from 800, uh, 800, 1990 dollars to per person per year to as uh, as much as over a little bit over 1600 dollars per person per year, more than doubled it, and then since then there had been sort of a slide in productivity. And um, so basically by 1600, the total number, uh, the total productivity of the wealthiest country on earth, the wealth or the most productive nation on earth at the time hadn't even doubled. It hadn't even doubled from the wealthiest empire in 1 AD, which was, was the Roman Empire at the time. And now in 1600, it's the Belgian Empire. Now, understand that I'm not going to be able to go country by country here on this episode. You can find a link to the Madison Project's full database. Um, on the, uh, it's one of the links on the, at the bottom of tonight's show page, which can be found at macroviewnews.com slash podcast slash 18. Um, if you want to dig a little bit deeper into the figures, I would just go there and, and check it out. You've, they've got you – know, it's, it's a big database. They've got a bunch of different countries going all the way back. Now, within the numbers I'm quoting as most productive country or least productive country, I understand that you know new countries form and have disappeared in this timeline. And there were nation states that were either too isolated or too fractured by tribalism to really discover any productivity figures going back that far. And as new countries came and emerged into existence through the various channels through which new nations form, it is true that they are unlikely to be as productive as long-standing productive ordered societies, but nonetheless, this further demonstrates that the difficulties with which you know people back then must have been dealing with. You know, scarcity of basic necessities were absolutely natural and commonplace for most people. And basic health wants today that we just take for granted, they're more than a third of a millennium away in 1600 advancements like think about for example penicillin and for reference sake the most productive country the country that had the greatest abundance of goods in 1600 had about the equivalent level of per person productivity as the continent of africa if taken as an aggregate in the year 2000 so just think about the standard of living of the average african you just take it as you know an aggregate. I mean, Africa is by by far the most poor, the poorest continent on Earth, and uh, most people in, in there's something like 600 million people in Africa that live on less than a dollar a day. So, goods and opportunities, uh, you know, goods and opportunities to produce goods and earn incomes are very scarce. And today in Africa, and we're even more so 16 years ago in Africa. 
the level of abject poverty that the average residents of the world's second most populated continent are born into and raised under were close to the same conditions as the average person in the most productive nation merely 416 years ago. Now, the world would yet again decline, however, through the, you know, throughout the 1600s and by the 1700s, the most productive country was about 4.8% less productive than the most productive country at the turn of the previous century, while the least productive country was about 9.5% more productive than the least productive country a century earlier. In the 1700s, that's where, you know, that's, that's where the century that, that most, for the most productive nations, the tides really turned towards an exponentially ever upward sloping world of abundance from 1700 to 1900. Now remember from one AD for the first 1700 years, we had less than doubled productivity from the, the most productive nation. By 1900, the productivity of the most productive country on earth, which at this time in 1900 was Switzerland by per capita GDP numbers nation had since overtaken England as the most productive nation on earth which held the title from about 1700 to 1875, after which Australia, believe it or not, for a brief stint, took the title of most productive uh, nation on earth. But the most productive country on earth, which was now Switzerland in 1900, had, had increased per person productivity by 248%, more than close to two and a half times, two and a half times the productivity 200 years earlier after basically less than doubling the productivity over a 1,700-year period or 1,300 years and then not seeing any advancement for about 400 years, humanity increased productivity among its most productive people by almost two and a half times in a 200-year period. But that's not even what the most amazing part is. What, what's really miraculous was over the next hundred years, the most productive nation, which by 2000 was now the U.S. and had been for about 50 years, only to be slightly overtaken by Hong Kong over the next decade, but the U.S. had increased per-person productivity from what Switzerland's number was in 1990, 58.99 per capita, you know, 5,899 uh, dollars in 1990 U.S. dollars as their per capita GDP or productive output in 1990. In 2000, the U.S.'s per capita productive output was 28,702 1990 dollars, and that's a 420 percent increase or four, close to 421 percent increase in a hundred years. Over the last hundred years, the average annual rate of productivity growth measured by the most productive country at the point in time was 80 times greater per year than it was for the first 1700 years. Why is it that we sit in shock looking at the natural state of mankind, which is abject material poverty and mass scarcity of basic necessities, yet we take for granted the incredible progress that has occurred over the past 200 or even if you just you know really want to look at it, the past hundred years, and yes, of course there's still poverty, and yes, relative to the wealthy nations, it is far greater. 
because the wealthy nations have taken off. But without the wealthy nations, they'd be worse off because there'd be even more scarcity and there wouldn't be the charitable programs that they, they see. The wealthy nations would still be struggling like they were 300 years ago to feed their own people. Poverty is nothing new. You know, the cause of poverty is a low level of productivity, which is caused by a lack of human capital, know-how, skills combined, you know, combined with, you know, the all too often, uh, you know, basically you have a lack of human capital and you combine that with the all too often tyrannical and oppressive governments that reject private property and propagate a mythical idea of common good while the people under their leadership starve to death and have no right to even garden or farm for themselves because they would need per, you know, permission or privilege to do that or would have the production taken from them. You know, if, if, you think, if you think about that, I mean, there's of course there's still poverty. There's still countries on earth where there's a lack of skills and a lack of know-how. And there's still countries on earth that you know that lack of skills and lack of know-how is combined with tyrannical oppressive government that rejects the idea of private property and will not allow foreign investment to come in you know, where, where there is capital saved up that can bring equipment into these countries and make their labor more productive and allow them to kind of creep out of poverty. The, the governments won't let them do that or there's there's essentially warring factions and there's there's actually no real territorial right now it's just sort of unclaimed land and everybody's warring for it and warlords kind of so it'd be very expensive to do that you'd have to basically you'd have to bring in security guards that would protect so it becomes really expensive to try to operate in these countries and they, the people there don't have any skills so to speak of they they haven't had education for for generations, you know, because you're just constantly having different warlords come and, and, and fight against each other and, and claim that this land is theirs, this land is theirs. And there's really nothing, nobody there really kind of understands because there's no historical context for them what it is that's actually going on and what it is that the Western world does and why it is that the Western world is productive and, and their countries, despite being you know, wealthy and natural resources cannot seem to produce the level of material wealth that, that you see elsewhere. A lot of people don't understand that there because they don't have education and they don't know how to read. And if you don't, if you have a low literacy rate, it's going to be really hard to teach modern ideas. But the definition in your of poverty, you know, in your mind is simply one of relative abundance or wealth. Your concern really shouldn't be with the wealthy, you know, with poor people in wealthy and developed nations. It should be with the poor and in the poorest nations and the unproductive people of the poorest nations. And the shock, the, the miracle should be the productive people of the wealthy nations. I mean, that should be the real question. What is it that makes the productive people of wealthy nations so productive? You know, you, your marvel should not be at the tragedy and sadness and suffering that is natural to mankind, but rather at overcoming what has been the commonplace throughout history. What makes wealthy nations wealthy is their productivity, their ability to exponentially increase the productivity of labor, and thus the, the goods and services that are available on the market. And if you want to hear about how labor productivity actually increases, 
go check out episode 15. That was sort of what that episode was about. I'm talking about real and sustainable economic growth. Now, before we cut away to our break, I want, you know, I want to paint a picture that maybe makes a little bit more sense for those of you listening that might not like to think in terms of GDP and, 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 you know, sort of these abstract productivity numbers. And since GDP is just a representative of productive output of a country, let's just for the sake of, you know, the thought demonstration, exchange the idea of per capita GDP for per person productivity in terms of some real consumer goods that existed both then and now. So in 1 AD, according to the Madison Project, in 1990 U.S. prices, 1990 U.S. dollar prices of loaves of bread in the U.S. To, you know, for in consumers, the average person in 1 AD in the Roman and Greek empires, which were the most productive countries in the world, produced about 3.13 loaves of bread per day. And and some of the less less productive, some of the other Western European monarchies, um, they produced about 2.35 loaves of bread per day. Now, just think about it in in realistic terms. What you could receive in exchange if you were holding on to 3.13 loaves of bread, and what you'd be able to you know, exchange those three loaves of bread, or you know, broke it down by slice, slice, but. Like you're not gonna, it's really not that much that you're gonna be able to exchange for, you know, especially after consider, considering that if that's all you're producing, you know, a decent amount of that needs to be consumed by you as a producer. I mean, I guess it could be traded for other foods or could just, you know, but you could also just consume the bread directly. Um, but you would need to use a piece of your productivity con- to consume basic necessities. And if all you're producing is three point one, three loaves of bread per day, that's a pretty dire situation. Let's think about another, uh, you know, valuable commodity of the time. In terms of wine, you know, wine, you know, as we know in 1 AD was, you know, a staple of the Roman Empire. Now, the productivity in liters of wine was equivalent to about 373 bottles per year. So a little over a bottle a day. Basically a bottle a day. Now, following that same logic, if you had one bottle a day, think about what you could really receive, you know, the maximum you could receive in exchange for that one bottle of wine per day. It's not very much. If that's your total, you know, daily take and you add that up over 373 bottles over the course of a year, it's really not that much. Now, in the year 2000, in the U.S., you know, comparing the most productive country of today to the most productive country then... You know, per capita GDP, the average per person productive output was equivalent to producing about 120 loaves of bread per day or about 39 and a quarter bottles of wine per day. Now, obviously, everybody isn't just producing bottles of wine or loaves of bread. The people who produce bread are able to produce 19 times more bread per day than the bread makers in 1700 were able to produce. That means that there's a far greater abundance of bread and bread is relatively cheaper in terms of it is its exchange value than it used to be. And if measured as percent, of, you know, percents of income, it's also relatively uh, cheaper because person's income, a daily income was three loaves of bread 
you know, now person's daily income is 120 loaves of bread. More productivity means greater abundance, lower prices, and less true poverty, less abject material poverty. It also means less time needs to be spent working to meet the personal needs and preferences of each individual, and therefore there's more leisure time, which creates opportunities for individuals to pursue fulfilling careers, offering leisure services and goods such as entertainment and travel and spas and all that. You know, and I don't have time on tonight's show or really any single show to go through the list of important inventions over the last 150 years or so that have helped drive home productivity increases. But I think it's pretty self-evident that there have been some really incredible technological advances in this time. You know, If not, there are plenty of books, if, you, if it's not self-evident to you, that discuss the history of technological advancement in the world. I'm not going to uh, get into that right now. I do, however, have... A few more things to say that I think will drive home the point that poverty is mankind's natural state. That if people can only produce the equivalent of three loaves of bread per day, scarcity is far greater. And naturally, poverty is more widespread and tragic. And that the shocking feat is not the continuing existence of poverty, but rather the acceleration in many parts of the world, most parts of the world by now, of widespread productivity gains increased abundance and an exponentially ever increasing standard of living but first a word from our sponsors tired of losing debates to your left-leaning friends tired of being stumped by the state agenda feel you got gypped in school head over to macroviewnews.com and click on the link in the top right corner titled liberty classroom you'll find a treasure trove of real history and economics with well over 100 hours of lectures from the world's most preeminent libertarian leaders, you'll get the equivalent of a PhD in libertarian thought. Courses include Austrian economics step-by-step, the history of political thought, the history of economic thought, four different U.S. history courses covering it all, a full history of Western civilization, John Maynard Keynes, his system and its fallacies, and much, much more. So head on over to macroviewnews.com and click on the link in the top right corner titled Liberty Classroom. So as I highlighted earlier, productivity for the first 1700 years AD is relatively dismal amongst the most productive nations compared to even today's median developing country. But I'm not the only person that has taken issue with sort of the political parading of the word poverty and the moving of the boundaries around to make it seem like people are incredibly impoverished. I want to quote an article that was inked by the legendary Thomas Sowell on August 3rd, 2011 in National Review. And quote, Robert Rector of the Heritage Foundation has for years examined what quote unquote, the poor of today actually have, and the economic facts completely undermine the political rhetoric. Official data cited by Rector shows that 80% of quote unquote, poor households have air conditioning today, which less than half of the population, the entire population of America had in 1970. Nearly three quarters of households in poverty own a motor vehicle. And nearly one-third own more than one motor vehicle. Virtually everyone living in quote-unquote poverty 
this he's talking about in America, as defined by the government, has color television and most have cable or satellite TV. More than three quarters have either VCR or DVD players, and nearly nine tenths have a microwave oven. As for being ill housed, the average poor American has more living space than the general population, not just the poor population of London, Paris, and other cities in Europe. Various attempts have been made over the years to depict Americans in poverty as ill-fed, but the quote-unquote hunger in America campaigns that have enjoyed such political and media popularity have usually used some pretty creative methods and definitions. Actual studies of quote-unquote the poor have found that their intake of the necessary nutrients to be no less than that of others. In fact, obesity is slightly more prevalent among low-income people. That's the end of, of, of the quote that from, from that article. I know for myself, you know, as a millennial and for other millennials, you know, we all can take the technology around us for granted. But to think about in 1970, less than half the population in the U.S. had air conditioning. I think that air conditioning for many people, especially the 80% of the poor that have it, is a significant material increase and surely increases the happiness of those with it as compared to if they did not have it during a heat wave. Now, as far as heating during the wintertime in a lot of the country where it gets very cold, the reduction of the need to burn wood fires to keep house, houses warm is a net benefit. It freed up time and resources and eliminated you know, all the safety concerns that come along with burning a fire inside a house, even if the fire, fireplace... Uh, you know, even if you have a strong fireplace and a, and a really clean chimney, I mean, it's an immeasurable increase in the living quality as compared to those a hundred years earlier, or for many, just fifty years earlier. And as compared to people in abject poverty, even in developing countries like India, even worse. You know, for some of the residents of the most impoverished country on earth, you know, such as Congo, you know, as, as measured in in 2010. You know, I mean, just think about the poor being poor in a highly developed country and a country where there's an abundance like we've had in America for so long, you know, and compare that to being poor or even being middle class in a country like India or being just the average person in a, in, you know, war torn country like, like the Congo. I want to leave everybody with a quote from science fiction writer Robert Heinlein who had some odd political stances and kind of shifted his views a couple of times in ways that you know, probably most libertarians would be skeptical of. But as he aged, he kind of became more and more libertarian and gave up most of his, you know, what were fear-induced, uh, mutual nuclear annihilation fear-induced status tendencies. And if alive today possibly would have considered himself an anarcho-capitalist if he had seen some of the development of the philosophy you know, by David Friedman, Walter Bloch, and, and others. Um, and he was also known to have written a letter in, in 1967, for those of you who don't, don't know, I want to give a little bit of background, in which he described himself as a philosophical anarchist and, and, or an autocrist, which is an autocratic anarchist, which is similar to what David Friedman describes in the machinery of freedom. And he was, he was also known to be unapologetically 
pro-individualism and anti-collectivism and particularly despised of communism. But anyways, enough, enough about background. Here's the quote. So you know, here's what he said, and I want to leave you with this tonight. Quote, throughout history, poverty is the normal condition of man. Advances which permit this norm to be exceeded here and there, now and then, are the work of an extremely small minority, frequently despised, often condemned, and almost always opposed by all the right-thinking people. Whenever this tiny minority is kept from creating, or as sometimes happens, is driven out of a society, the people then slip back into abject poverty. End quote. It's simple, succinct, and true. All right, folks, that's all for tonight. Be on the lookout for tomorrow night's episode as well. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. It's facebook.com slash the macro view. And on Twitter, it's at the macro view. And share us with your friends and family and help me to spread the logic of liberty. Hope everyone enjoys the rest of their Friday evening. Take care, folks. You've been listening to the macro view. Tune in tomorrow night and every weeknight at 9.30 p.m. Pacific Time to help spread the logic of liberty. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.